welcome back to the Rambling Preacher Podcast. My name is Jesse, and I am glad to be back. I know that I discussed covering trichotomy, dichotomy, and hylomorphism, which I promise will come, but I wanted to take a breather, take a step back, evaluate, and prayerfully consider how to move forward, um, because I think part of this can be framed based on my history, based on my story, based on what I've experienced, what I've seen, what I know, what I've read, what I've, you know, and so I wanted to take this moment to just kind of back up and let you know where I'm already coming from and my preconceived notions and my hopes and my, you know, just kind of that type of podcast episode. So rather than get into trichotomy, dichotomy, and hylomorphism, which we will, um, I'd like to just discuss the practice and the experience and and my beliefs when it comes to this stuff. Okay, so first and foremost, knowing my history in regards to demons, I'm actually going to give you not every single thing, um, but a lot of things that I've experienced or seen or been involved in when it comes to demons and demonology, right? Um, So first and foremost, I grew up as we all know, as most people would know, listening to this in a very charismatic family. Um, And most of my family saw the supernatural, right? Um, I had a cousin, well, both, I had multiple cousins that saw multiple things, um, saw angels and saw demons. My my, uh, closer family sometimes did. My uncle, who was a pastor, did. Um, As a kid, I'd have dreams quite often about demons. Um, I'd have demonic dreams, demonic attack in my dreams. I had night terrors when I was a kid, or I shouldn't say kid kid, but as a young teenager, um, I used to have those types of things, right? And so we've had conversations in Insta- on Instagram in my stories about are night terrors actually demonic attack? They feel like they're demonic attacks because I've experienced them, but are they truly... Is there something in, you know, because I remember being, it felt like I was suffocating and saying, Jesus, and then it was gone, right? Is that demonic? Did it feel demonic? Is it truly demonic? You know, those are things that are very hard to give you a direct answer to. Um, I would lean toward yes, but also they've psychologically proven night terrors and they happen to non-Christians and they happen in ambiguous situations. And so, you know, I think it's one of those things where it's okay to have some ambiguity and some unsureness, but always pray and always turn to Christ, right? Um, I had this framework, right, as a as a young charismatic teenager that demons only will attack those that are actually doing something and causing a ruckus for the kingdom of God. And so, you know, back in my I'm the best type of Christian theology days, right? And right now I celebrate, this is where, you know, anyone listening, I want you to hear this up front from me, right? I believe those that are doing it the best are those that are pointing to Christ, those that are preaching the gospel in its trueness, in its depth, in its fullness, um, with reckless abandon, every single chance they get, they're preaching Christ and pointing to Christ, right? No one can listen to my sermons on Sunday and say that I don't do that, right? So that is what I would believe to be the best thing a preacher can do, right? But when I was a young, charismatic teenager, I was very ignorant, right? I did not know much about church history. I did not study church history. I did not know much about Presbyterians or Lutherans or Catholics or Anglicans or Episcopalians, right? If we want to make that distinction or Methodist or Baptist or particular Baptist or Reformed Baptist. I never read Spurgeon. I never read Luther. I never read Sproul. I never read Vodibachum. I never read all of these people, 
And I, so I say this as kind of a preface to say like, yes, there is this element of being very careful about spiritual pride, no matter your situation, right? You may be a very charismatic, gung-ho, slaying demons type of Christian, but you have to be careful when spiritual pride starts to eep in. And I think something for anyone in theology is it happens to us too. It can be very, very careful being spiritually proud in your knowledge and your knowing, right? First Corinthians 13, if we have all love or know all things, know all mysteries, but have not love, then we are as a noisy gong. And so we have to be very careful. But what I did as a charismatic teenager, I say all of that to preface this point is that I really truly did believe that, hey, all those other Christian denominations, Presbyterians and Methodists and Baptists and all those other people, yeah, they're good and yeah, they're Christian, but they're just not as spiritual. They're just not as deep. They're just not as real. Um, And unfortunately, the more I learned and the more I studied, the more um, humiliating that opinion is, right? So if you're a charismatic Christian and you actually don't know the differences in doctrines and why people are in different, um, I don't want to call them tribes, but denominations, and you don't understand that, you just think you're a superior Christian because, right, because we pray more, because we do 99 days of fasting and prayer, because this, that, and that, right, those things are very dangerous because that is an ego, a Christian ego that's just not really um, good in the kingdom of God. And so I had that same thing when I was a Christian teenager. Well, like, yeah, our church is the best though, because our intercessory prayer will last three hours long and they don't even have a prayer team. Sure. Maybe that's an issue. Maybe we should get that going. But the spiritual ego that comes in when you just think you're a better Christian than someone else, right? And so all of this was kind of like, happening to me as a charismatic teenager where I'm like, well, of course, demons are attacking me because I'm doing something in the kingdom. And that was kind of just told to me like, yeah, of course, demons are coming after those that are doing something in the kingdom of God. Right. So as a kid, I honestly, and I say kid, I was once again, 13, 14, 15, this was prime age for this. Um, I, I was honestly very afraid of the demonic in the sense that I did not want to see my cousins and my family members would tell me things they saw. And I would pray that God empower me and strengthen me um, to know and to uh, defeat demons. However, I did not want to see into the spiritual realm. I didn't want, I didn't want to see that. Right. So I got into the book called uh, demons, a memoir, which is a fictional book. Um, And I've read, and this is actually more recently as an adult, but I don't know how many years ago now, maybe five years ago, I read The Veil by Blake Healy. Yes, Bethel. Um, I've read uh, Screwtape Letters, and I've read a couple other books in regards to demonology, all very more, I would argue, charismatic leaning, besides perhaps, uh, well, C.S. Lewis, he's an oddball in a mixed bag, right? There were two times, right? that I did actually see demons. And, and, you know, for the life of me, just giving you context and history that to this day, I would say they were demons, right? Um, One time I was driving home and I passed my pastor's house. And I began thinking, okay, hey, I'm on the prayer team. I should pray for my pastor. I'm passing his house. I have five minutes till I get home. Let's just pray for my pastor. Praying for my pastor. And I'm not kidding when I say it looked like a rhinoceros, um, a black shadowy rhinoceros came charging at my car. Um, And it was so real to me that I actually swerved 
and I almost hit a car parked on the side of the road, um, terrified me, right? And um, I began praying in tongues even crazier, right? Like the Pentecostal, the good Pentecostal that I am. And that was terrifying. And then I'm looking in my rearview mirror. I'm thinking, is it following me? Is it, was it territorial? What's going on? Um, that's one of the two times that I saw um, a demon. And another time that I saw a demon um, was actually at the church building of the time. And we were praying and we recognized at the time, once again, I use that phraseology so you understand what I do know, what I don't know, it's hard. And that's why I'm navigating all of this because I'm not coming in here just to say this is, there are no, I obviously believe in demons. We've covered that numerous times in my posts and in my stories and in my, you know, everything I've ever done. I clearly very much so believe in demons. And I think the reformed camp has this problem where they never address demons properly, right? But I think there is this excess, which is what I believe I'm called to address um, in this podcast, the excess and the abuse and the misuse of certain things that charismatics are doing, right? Anyway, the second time I saw a demon was um, in church at prayer. I, I believe to have seen a, a tall, slender man, older man, but once again, very similar, shadowy yet I saw his features, um, black figure, yet he was clearly there. Um, and just very much like a, a hovering over, um, what we were doing. And I double checked because I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a man up there, looked back and there was nothing. And then all of a sudden chills down my spine and I'm paranoid and we share this. And a couple other people had said, yeah, we've actually, um, seen something similar where it's always like a tall man, like in a raincoat or something of that nature. Um, and so anyway, that was, those are the two experiences that I wanted to lay out there as like demonic experiences. Now I have a lot of other things too, and I, I'll name a few more. Um, but I actually, I, I don't really like this. Well, I've done this and I've done that and I've experienced this and yeah, sure. Maybe I've experienced and done less than other, these other de deliverance ministries. Right. But really I think people get in the same way people can get puffed up and proud about their knowledge in the word of God and their knowledge in church history and their knowledge of these things, I think we can get puffed up when it comes to um, how many demons we've slayed, right? One of my good friends, Matthew, that most of you know, Matthew Reams, <clears throat> he and I chatted for a good little bit about demons. And, you know, I was just picking his brain and I really love to learn from his experiences and, and his knowledge. He's just a, a, a very, uh, a pool of wisdom. And I talked to him about this and he was just telling me like, Hey man, like I've, I, I've encountered more demons and more people demonized and possessed by demons than most, um, most people would even realize, I just, I'm not one to go flaunting it or bragging about it. I just, if there's someone in front of me that needs deliverance, we're going to pray, right? And I talked to him about that and how that's such a beautiful mindset to have and how we all really should have that mindset and we'll get there. But anyway, I wanted to share that at this brief juncture because I have a few more stories and I don't want to, I, I'm not really doing any of this to brag because I'm actually pulling even my own experiences into question and saying, what if this was good? What if this was not good? Right. And one of the times we were, 
um, in intercessory prayer, right? A lot of this happened in that type of context. Um, but we used to go to homes of people who would recently move into homes or move into new apartments, and we'd pray for the building that they were moving into, and we'd be mindful of was there witchcraft practice at this place, whether their generational, you know, blah blah blahs or whatever it may be. We would come in and we pray and. You know, and some of us would be feeling fine, and then some people would be like, no, there's a demon in this closet. Oh, it went over to this closet. Oh, it went over to this closet. Oh, it's just jumping around, jumping around, jumping around, right? And I'll be honest, I was never really sure, but once people start saying, yeah, there's a demon in this room, you know, your your hairs start to stand up, and you start to think, oh, yeah, maybe there is. And there's a lot psychologically you can talk about there. But that was an experience um, that I had. And I'm not going to say one time, two time, three time, probably more than two hands worth, right? Probably 12, 13, 14 times where I was going to homes, praying for people that believed they had demons in their homes, right? We even did that in my own apartment um, back when we first moved into it, I believe in 2014 into 2015. Um, you know, we brought over the intercessory prayer team and we were praying for my apartment, right? Um so are they territorial? Do they have rights? Why are they there? Right? These were questions. And I never really understood the chasing them from room to room in the closet, in the walls. And some people got into that. I never really got into that. I just thought, why can't we just get rid of them? Like, I never understood that. Um, you know, but usually it was like, oh, they must have a right to be here. What's what's the right to be here? And it became like this, you know, guess who of why they're here. Um you know, and I, I, I don't know. I, I did have one other person and not going to name names, but I had another. Well, I think there was more than one person. There was a few people that used to be able to talk with demons and converse with them and have conversations and be like the demon saying this now. That always bothered me. And I think there's other people even in my Pentecostal circles that that bothered them. Um and most of, I mean, at least from what I understand, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think they blocked me now, but uh, it was an old family member of mine, unfortunately, but they used to talk to demons and I don't think they serve God anymore. Right. And that's really disheartening and sad. I, maybe they do. I don't know. But last I understood is a lot of my former family is not where they could be and should be. Right. I hope they are. And I pray they are. And I pray they're serving Christ. Um, some are, I know that. And some, I don't know. Um, a couple young boy cousins of mine, wonderful kids. Um, I don't know if they are at all anymore, right? So this type of stuff, like it calls into question as you're growing up, like you're seeing this and it becomes almost like, I don't really think that's real. And so you have to have these, this mystical, spiritual, supernatural conversation with these kids that they understand spiritual realities, right? We have some people that purely live in the physical, but we know that we are born again and we are born of the spirit. We are spiritual, um, I mean, I would argue we're prophetic realization of the new covenant. Um, we are living in spiritual realities. That's why Paul can say we're sojourners here on earth. We are not for this earth, but rather we're temporarily placed on this earth until um, until the new heavens, until the new earth, until the glorified bodies. Nonetheless, I'm rambling. I've read The Veil. I already mentioned that, but I read the book The Veil by Blake Healy, and that was one that definitely... Um, I thought was interesting, right? I didn't really have anything terrible, crazy to say, but I also didn't want to leave that out just because some people may say, oh, you should read The Veil. It's such a good book. I read it. I I don't know, right? I don't know what to believe. And if you're reformed and you want to read it, be my guest. It's very 
interesting and and I believe people maybe can see that type of stuff and right I know maybe even people that would say oh I see that stuff and see you don't know and so already the spiritual ego starts to come in right but what I do know is that people have these types of experiences and how, what do we do with it right if they cling to Christ and they say these experiences are real right then what happens and so I'm going to actually go back into um, a couple more examples before I move on, but another example was my mother used to always have dreams of the church setting in the church context where half the church was engaged in beautiful worship of God and the other half of the church was just demonic, 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 right? And Blake Healy actually had similar things happen in his book. He would say he would be at a church service and he'd see a majestic king lion waltz up there and just start to soak in the praise of the people but then there would be other people pulled away by distracting demons and distracting that and distracting this and distracting right and it was like this mesh of of angelic and demonic all intertwined in the same service and so we had this vision to purify the stream to purify the source why do we have both why are we okay with both both and so actually, if you go into 1 Corinthians 11, before you get into the Lord's Supper, Paul actually talks about, um, and I, I like to read the King James Version because it gives you a better picture of what's happening there. But he actually says, I have heard, um, and I believe this is verse 17. I don't actually have it in my notes. I'm just rambling. But verse 17 or so, right before you get into the typical Lord's Supper that you read, but he says, I have heard that there are divisions among you. And on one part, I believe it because there must be, King James versions, heresies amongst you in order that the genuine may prove to be true, right? And so Paul is actually saying, I believe that there are divisions and disunity and disaccord and disarray between you because the genuine has to come through amongst all these heresies, right? And so what Blake Healy is saying is he's seeing genuine, but all of a sudden heresies are popping up with it, right? Because heresies and you and in truth cannot live together and so you see this same thing happen in my mother's dreams where she said there are heresies or demonic things at play happening in the midst of beautiful wonderful glorious things right and so i would argue right one of the first demonic purposes one of the first demonic doctrines if you will and we're going to talk about more more about this in a minute but one of the first demonic doctrines is sowing discord and disarray and division and offense and frustration right john bevere which i know some of you reform people might not like john bevere but john bevere has a book called the bait of satan which is about offense and letting bitterness and offense root deep into your heart and it's the bait of Satan, right? Like I know people that would throw that book and say, this is the best book in the world. And yet they're offended all the time. And it's like, do you not realize that you're falling prey to this very same book, right? And Matthew made a similar comment. He said, a lot of times the people obsessed with demon deliverance ministries, it's because deep down inside of them, they know that they need it, right? And so I love that. And hopefully he's okay with me sharing some of these things, right? But I, I, I think that's true in my experience. I'm not going to say that's true always and all the time, but in my experience, I've experienced some people very obsessed, um, right? Even in circles I, I love and I run with now that I know that are just very obsessed and honed in on this. And sometimes you're like, why though? Like, why are we not obsessed on Christ? And I know the, the paradigm becomes, well, Christ did the demon deliverance, right? But like, 
why are we not obsessed on Christ and discipleship and and Christian living and uh, reading our Bible and and these are things that even me right once again these are questions that I had to wrestle with so I'm not wrestling I'm not pointing at people saying oh you should be better I'm pointing at this situation that I've been through myself like experientially and realized like you guys there was a time in my life where every single morning I would pray dear heavenly Father I bind right. <laughs> use the bind and loose thing. And we'll talk about that at some other podcast as well. But I bind the spirit of lust right now in Jesus name. It has no place in my life. Right. And I believed every single sin that I struggled against was a demonic intertwining itself into my life. Rather than recognizing my carnality, my flesh, my sinfulness, and turning to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit who is residing within me to empower me and strengthen me to live a sanctified life, right? That is the reality of what scriptures teach. If you actually get into scriptures, they say you are sealed to the Holy Spirit. He will do a work in you. He will transform you. What we are called to do, according to Hebrews 12 and various other places in scripture, we are called to gaze upon Christ, right? And so I would argue demonic um, powers are at work to distract you. And I actually have a working definition, but maybe I'll just share it now and render you useless for the kingdom of God in pursuit of your worship, right? So demons are trying to render you useless for God's kingdom and they are trying to get your worship. Anyway, I also had someone else. I will re remain nameless, but in my life, but someone else in my life who actually got married to an angel of light that they knew deep in their heart was demonic, right? But they thought it was beautiful. They thought it was lovely. Married it, right? I have another situation. Someone very near and dear to me. Um, they have very clearly a perverted, twisted demon infecting their life and affecting their life where everything becomes lust and sensualized. And especially when younger and drinking, this would come out in certain ways where um, you know, showing pornography to children and exposing self and touching and, and accusations of assault. And those are all things that happened when I was younger too. So it's like, that is demonic, right? Like demonic thinking, demonic doctrine, demonic twisting and distortion, right? Like there's a level of like, that's your flesh. And then there's like a level of like, that's a demonic pagan idea and agenda, right? Like I would argue every form of rape is demonic. I would argue every form of abortion is demonic, right? Like, and some people say, oh no, it's probably just the flesh. But like, I think there are certain evils in this world that are passed off as not evil. And I think it's demonic, right? Like, let's, let's talk about that, right? Like abortion is demonic, right? Even if that one single person doesn't have a demon in their life possessing them, abortion is still demonic, right? I would argue many things in our culture that are culturally accepted are pagan demonic doctrines that that society has lifted up on a pedestal and we're not talking about those things right I know another person who is small and frail and not strong. It took three grown adults to pin him down when he began manifesting a demon. Not Christian, not saved. He began manifesting a demon, right? Those are realities. There's another story. Um, I believe Martin Lloyd-Jones is where I heard this when I was studying his opinion on demons, right? But he is another one where he talked about a, a young girl who took two men, two grown adult men, to with withhold her one man could not do it he's like 
What do you give of this situation? You think of Legion, you think of these types of, of demonic entities, and then you have these videos right now where it's like, I'm gonna hurt you, I'm gonna hurt you, right? Like, those are laughable and mockable compared to what I have seen, what I have heard, what I've heard from people that have actually encountered demonic like manifestations, right? Like that is real. And so when you see the fake and you're used to handling the real, uh, you start to notice the counterfeits in all of this, right? And so observations like what, what, what if I told you, right? If I don't experience any demons, all of a sudden, they're not afraid of my ministry, right? Like many people in this listening know that's probably not true, but I was raised to believe and I was manipulated to believe, right? And I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was the culture. I don't, I can't point at one person who told me this is the way to think and believe and, and feel, right? I can't really do that. But if you never experience demons again, does that mean you are not successful in God's kingdom? Are we going to say this? Is this provable via the scriptures? I'd argue very not so, right? Is this provable? Like, like I mean, are we going to look at Spurgeon? Are we going to look at Prince of Preachers? Are we going to render his ministry useless? And so many countless other people who do not experience, you know, demonic intertwined into their ministries, like Charles Haddon Spurgeon, right? Incredible man of God, incredible preacher, prince of all preachers, right? Um, so let's, let's look at this though. I want you to ponder my working definition. In fact, let me reread this. It's a couple, it's a couple later. Um, I didn't even put it in. Let's see. An evil spiritual creature looking to render Christians useless for God's kingdom and desire for worship, AKA idolatry, right? So Ephesians chapter six, right? We, this is the first verse that I think most Christians should turn to when discussing, um, demons. And then I would argue first Timothy four is probably second, but finally be strong in the Lord, right? And these are exhortations and teachings and correcting understandings about spiritual realities from Paul to the church in Ephesus, right? Looking at stories of the Christ that are meant to be, um, gospel historical accounts, for teaching, for doctrine, is it, 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 there's a, there's a nuance there you have to be careful with, right? And I think a lot of times people miss that. Anyway, I'm rambling. Ephesians chapter six, verse ten. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Right? We're called to be strong in Him in the strength of His might. Verse eleven. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Right? There are schemes and plans and agendas of the devil to distort and to disturb and to distract and to deter a Christian from their calling and to render them useless for the kingdom, right? This is why I can come up with that working definition. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What is flesh and blood? That's you. That's me. We do not wrestle with one another, right? There may be demonic agenda, demonic distraction, demonic doctrines behind the person, but that does not mean that we wrestle against that person, right? We wrestle against 
the spiritual demonic realities behind them, right? So it says, it continues, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I often have to remind people when we see heaven, I love that this actually says heavenly places, but oftentimes heaven is kind of actually supposed to be or should have been translated as heavenly places. So the spiritual realities around us presently, Right? So we are at war not with people, but with the demonic spiritual agendas behind that. Right, So I'm not at war with the lady sitting there who is has an unplanned pregnancy. She's 16 years old. The guy's no good. I'm not at war with her. I'm not, I'm not mad at her, but I'm mad at the demonic agenda behind her that is trying to say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And then as soon as she aborts that, that baby, what's going to happen is, oh, you killed a baby. Oh, you killed a baby for the rest of her life. I mean, that is a real punishing, uh, uh, just reality that this young girl may have to face, right? And so I am waging war against the demonic agenda, the demonic thing behind the person. And this happens within church settings too, right? Like people, I don't want to get too hung up on the John MacArthur drama right now because I'm not fully read up on it, right? But there does seem to be some kind of demonic doctrine in this. Even if you want to argue, okay, MacArthur made some mistakes, right? I would argue maybe MacArthur needs to own those things and repent of those things and change his heart and change his mind, right? You may argue that the pride there is a demonic uh, thing, but we're still not wrestling against MacArthur because he gets the gospel right. MacArthur is a brother in Christ, right? That is why I can look at some of these ministries um, and some of those men up there with Greg Locke, one in particular, right? And be like, he mentioned Christ. He mentioned repentance. He mentioned the gospel and he pointed to Christ a few, you know, a few times. And how often did he point at himself? Once, right? So those are ministries, right? Like even talking to friends and family that I know that have experienced demons who have watched Derek Prince, right? I've watched Derek Prince, right? That's another thing I didn't mention. I've watched plenty of Derek Prince. I used to... <laughs> when I was a teenager, I had to watch this deliverance ministry video. Um, and, and we had conversations about it. Like, so this is stuff like, I, I don't know how people may interpret this as, you know, I'm, I'm growing up as a Pentecostal Christian. I've been a Pentecostal Christian my whole life. And now I'm kind of in this, you know, Baptocostal space where I'm a Baptist, but I'm still charismatic in a sense. And I'm, you know, in the Sam Storms, you know, but maybe less Martin Lloyd-Jones or even I, I'm going to say Spurgeon because I think he very practically was a continuationist, right? I'm in that sphere and that realm of things. Um, and yet people want to act like this is new to me. Like, no, I've been I've been in the thick of demonic stuff since I joined intercession at 12 years old, right? Like these these people want to pull up and be like, well, I was fire and radical for God and I did this and did that and the church didn't know what to do with me, right? Like I had that mentality at 17. I'm like, the church doesn't know what to do with me. I better go start a Bible study because they aren't doing anything with me. I went to my youth pastor and I said, hey, these, uh, these little curriculums you have, they're just not really feeding my soul. They're not deep enough for me. So I think I'm going to start going to the adult thing if you don't switch it up, right? Like spiritual ego. Come on. Like we should be able to recognize spiritual ego when it slaps us in the face. And I think that's the problem with a lot of this stuff is you begin to realize, right? People have spiritual ego. And that's why I'm trying to preface all of this, that all of this is for my own 
personal understanding. I want to be able to look someone in the eyes, in the face, and tell them what I believe completely, wholeheartedly, convictedly, right, via the Word of God. Not my experiences, not my past, not my 12-year-old Pentecostal days, right? Like, I want to tell them based on the scriptures and based on what I know to be true, this is what I've seen, right? And I was even talking to a young young friend of mine, um, just wrestling with a lot of thoughts and a lot of things and just really in a, in a, in a struggling place right now, depressed. And, and I really just wanted to reach him, you know, and I just told him like, Hey man, like this is the thing when it comes to the, these types of realities, like it, maybe I'm spoiling it cause I'm going to get there. But I just told him, I said, look, this is the reality. The reality is we all want to believe Christians can be demonized or have demons, right? Because we all know people and love people that have demons or struggle with demons and they seem to be Christian. So the hope is, yes, they actually get the gospel right. They will end up in heaven. They are saved, right? That is all of our hopes. I hope Christians can have demons, right? Like, once again, if we're going to choose our theology, we're going to base it on experiences and what we hope to be true, then I hope demons can affect Christians. But what I see biblically is not that to be the case, right? What I see biblically is demons always affecting non-Christians. What I see biblically is that we're new creations. What I see biblically is a little different. And right, so, but then I talk to good friends, people I trust, Martin Lloyd-Jones, you're talking to C.H. Spurgeon, uh, or read, reading on C.H. Spurgeon, which he doesn't have as much to say on this area, but Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, R.T. Kendall, you're looking at um, Sam Storms, you're looking at some really legitimate scholar type of people and saying, what do they say? What do they teach? Right. And the thing that they all say and all agree on is that there are too many people negating the demonic and forgetting that it's a reality, right? Because as America and as the Western world civilizes and grows, we're just losing sight of the realities of the spiritual, spiritual realm. And I agree with that, right? But we have to keep in mind, I like the way Jeff Durbin or some of these other people that are a little more reformed will look at it. They'll be like, that is demonic. When a man wants to be with a 14-year-old boy, that is demonic. There's something demonic in that moment, right? Like any Christian can look at that and know that, right? But the woman who's, I'm going to fight you, I'm going to hit you, I'm going to hit you, right? That, okay, that's starting to feel very, very counterfeit. I'm starting to rub the bill. I'm examining it. And I'm saying, you know, I just don't think this is genuine based on what else I've seen to be demonic, right? So practically speaking, I, I do want to conclude here in a few minutes, right? So give me, give me seven or eight minutes to just wrap up some of my thoughts. The one thing about most theology is even if your theology is different, you end up um, just practicing. It, it almost becomes the same. And so what I what I mean by this, right? And and I know some people argue against this, but one thing I know that almost every single ministry needs to do is major on the majors, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like that is the major, that is the primary, right? These are secondary di differences and doctrines, and we can properly assess them and properly weigh them accordingly right? But say you put someone in front of me and they are demonized. They're struggling with demons. And they say, Hey, look, Jesse, like I am struggling with demons. I don't know what's going on, but they attack me in the night. They affect my thoughts. I just can't escape this. And I love Jesus. And I don't know how to get free, right? Like I'm not in that moment questioning their salvation. That's not what I'm doing. That's not my heart, right? What I'm doing is I'm looking at them and I'm saying, okay, let's pray for you, 
right? Are there any strongholds in your life? Are you given into witchcraft? Are you doing anything you shouldn't be doing, right? Are those things there? Okay, let's pray for you. Are we going to deliver a demon here and now? Are you ready, right? Like to to go through this and remember as you, as the spirit leaves you, you need to fill this with the Holy Spirit. Like you need to have the Holy Spirit come into you, right? And maybe you are saved. Maybe you're not saved. I don't know, but you need the Holy Spirit in your life. And then you need to link them with somebody who's going to disciple them because if you don't, then the dumbest thing you can do is just let them be free and go free because according to Matthew, we see that seven more stronger demons will come back, right? Like that philosophy still stands in most people's minds, right? So we deliver them of their demons. We fill that void with the Holy Spirit and we get them discipleship. It doesn't matter what your theology is, right? It doesn't matter if you're formed or you're Baptist or you're Presbyterian or you're charismatic. That should be the practice no matter what, right? And so that's what I'm telling you. Even while I'm studying this, that is the practice. That is what I'll do, right? Someone comes to me and they're struggling with demons. That is the practice. That is what I'll do. Right. So I want you to know that as we as we venture into this, the practice doesn't really change no matter what I come to the conclusion of. The practice is the same. Right. Sometimes there's offenses, right? Like sometimes you talk to people and you just realize they have a, a root of bitterness talking about John Bevere's bait of Satan. Right. The, I would argue bitterness and offense that this is like a festering root wound and, and it causes frustration and and you're no longer seeing properly and it's just like your eyes slowly but surely with the log in them get clouded and and, and I just feel like that yeah if you want to use the word demonic oppression go ahead by all means I, I I mean I know this possession oppression thing and demonized thing like there's no word demon possession in the New Testament according to the Greek it's demonized which means to be attacked and bothered by right like they have no authority over you. They cannot possess you, right? Like those things are kind of more obvious, right? And that's why I do struggle with like, how do these spiritual realities become physical realities? Why do people, you know, um, throw up? I know people that I love that really love Jesus that have thrown up every single Sunday, right? Like I have a good friend, very good Pentecostal Hispanic, Hispanic friend, goes to a local church here. We used to work together for a couple of years. He and I are still really good friends, right? Like I love this man. And he's like, yeah, I bring my puke bag every service, right? Like we still have a great time when we talk together. I, I love the man. He, he's a delight to be around, right? But I don't really understand the puking thing. Like I've never witnessed that for myself. I've never experienced that. But then again, you know, I don't know, right? Like, is this a cultural thing? Is this a psychological thing? And that is the question. That is what I'm trying to work through. So don't be mad, right? Like when I'm trying to work through these things, and I know that many of you listening are struggling through these things too. Like, is this biblical? Is this okay? Right? I know one person who um, was psychological, um, uh, PhD, and they talked about like, hey, you know, I don't, I, this is fake, but <laughs> um, it's fake and that's okay because at least they seem to psychologically they're doing better because they think they're relieved of something, but really it was just a mental trauma, right? Like, so sometimes it's, it, it, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is, but I'm looking at all sorts of things, right? 
But I would argue that bitterness and offenses, they're going to stem and bring about in you anger, and you're going to be a bit manipulative, and you'll always perpetually be the victim and blame others and, and everything, and you'll just find yourself in a continual state of offense, right? Like, that is demonic, and I think people lose sight of the simple ways the demonic doctrines can infiltrate your mind. Oh, they wronged me. Oh, they hurt me. I can't forgive them. I can't do that. And then the offense and the root of bitterness grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. This is why I would always recommend to people when they're struggling with somebody, resolve it in your own heart. But if you can't, go to them and talk to them, right? Disarray, disaccord, disunity is antithetical to the gospel, right? Like we cannot live in a community, a covenant community for the kingdom of God. First Corinthians 11 makes it clear heresies are bubbling up with the genuine and the heresies got to go, right? And so that's the thing, right? Like our church has been in such a loving, communal, united type of way lately. And it's just been so beautiful to watch unfold as is just people love each other and they're forgiving each other. And yeah, there's always little bits here and there. It wouldn't be a church without, you know, little bits here and there, but like, and side note, it's always the worship team, right? Like worship team. There's always a little bit of ego with a musician and with their instruments. Shout out Shane for saying that, not me, (laughs) but, uh, um, it's part of the reason I gave up the guitar when I was 17 years old. I really, I saw through myself and I was like, man, I am just using my guitar and my voice as ego, right? Like, so I was like, I'm going to put this down. I don't think it's what I'm called to. I don't think it's what I'm supposed to do. I'm putting it down. Right. Um, so anyway, like this is the type of demonic stuff we need to look at and deal with, right? Because the heresies bubbling up with the genuine, that needs to be addressed, right? The root of bitterness, read John Bevere's book, The Bait of Satan, right? Like read it, recognize it. Like I still think that's a good book in the sense that that is truly what I believe the demons are trying to do. They're trying to render you useless for the kingdom, right? And the accusation may just be give them the gospel. But I'm telling you right now, like without demons there, the best thing you can do is give the gospel. It's the lifeline. It's the foundation, right? And I know I'm jumping off because I'm trying to get back to my notes to end, right? But one of the notes I have there here is people may accuse, hey, you're just saying, just give them the gospel, but you got to do more than that. No, like the gospel is everything. It's the foundation for everything. It is the lifeline. It is our rock. It is our salvation, right? Even if somebody is not demonized, I'm giving them the gospel. Um, all right. First Timothy chapter four, verse one. Now the spirit expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. I've talked about this passage numerous times on this podcast, but once again, this entire chapter, you know, what is Paul calling Timothy, a young pastor to do? Like, this is why, right? Like I had this idea in my head, like I I would be a, a, a trauma comedian, right? Like, you know, pastor, we love that you love the Bible. Oh, don't take it that seriously, right? Like, but literally like Paul is telling Timothy, right? Like the two things you have to do have nothing to do with irrelevant silly myths, right? That's not, I guess that's not one of the two things, but that's verse seven. Yeah. Right. Like, and then he literally goes on command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, 
right? Like those are the call in verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself, your conduct, right? That's what he's discussing and on your teaching persist in this for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers, right? So that is the call of a young pastor. First Timothy four, um, and the beginning, the doctrines of demons. I've had one part, one or two podcasts on that. I, I have plenty more in the works, but my working definition, why, right? I want to conclude because I'm just rambling and I have so many things I can say and so many things popping into my head and I just keep drifting from my notes. Um, my working definition, one more time, an evil spiritual creature looking to render Christians useless for God's kingdom and desire your worship, right? They want you to idolize them, right? The working purpose of demons, though there are many, this is the primary working purpose, I would argue, is they desire to make themselves gods, and they are going to do this by their false doctrines, their false teachings, right? Practical ways that they can do this. Chomp on these and consider. I don't think anyone's going to fight me on these are demonic doctrines, demonic teachings, according to 1 Timothy 4.1, right? But they will tell you, I believe this is demonic, wholeheartedly a damning doctrine of a demon. They will tell you, you do not need a pastor or a local church. That is a lie. That is so anti-biblical, antithetical to the gospel. You do need a pastor. You do need a local church. You need to plug in. You need to be connected. To not understand that is to miss so much of the Bible, right? And so I would argue that is demonic. They are trying to isolate you and separate you. And yes, you will get wonky in the long run. Please plug into a local church. I don't care if it's perfect, because as Spurgeon said, if it was perfect, the moment you walk in, it no longer is, right? Find a, a church that is pointed in the right trajectory, that loves Jesus, that is working to love each other, and that preaches from the Bible. Okay, another demonic doctrine is they will, they'll, they'll, they'll whisper in your ear, or they'll tell you this is screw tape letter thinking, right? But God will never forgive you and immediately shame, 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 condemnation, right? Romans 8, 1, we defeat this type of thinking with the scriptures. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Or on the other side, antinomianism, right? They'll tell you that your sin is not a big deal. Oh, go on, keep doing it. God will just forgive you for your sin. It's not a big deal, okay? Another one, spiritual pride. I believe this is demonic wholeheartedly. They'll tell you that other Christians are not as spiritual as you are, right? Judge them. They're not as spiritual as you. They don't see what you see. They don't know what you know, right? This can happen with pastors. This can happen with deliverance ministers. This can happen with prophetic people, right? If you're charismatic leaning, this can happen with people who are really good evangelists and really good at street evangelizing, right? This can happen with people who are in positions of power, who make a lot of money, who have a nice house, right? This spiritual pride comes in and you become legalistic, religious, and pharisaical, right? So be very careful. I would argue it's a demonic doctrine to begin to think you are a superior Christian in any type of way. You are inferior to Christ, and that's all that matters, right? Have you overlooked a good Christian that you are called to love and forgive? I believe that is demonic as well, right? I believe one of the calls that 
every pastor has to face is pray for people that persecute you. Pray for people that don't like you. Pray for people that leave you. Pray for people that do that, right? Because what happens is when you're praying for God to bless them and when you're praying for God to do a work in their lives in spite that they're not with you, that's fine, right? Do a work in them still, oh Lord, please bring them to your everlasting covenant. Bring all of their children's 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 children to you, oh God. May their name be a, a, a foundation for the gospel to advance through the kingdom, right? Like praying for people that you struggle with or that hurt you is one of the best things you can do because when you begin to pray for them, you begin to open yourself up to the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work to say, I love them. You love them. People are people. People make mistakes. People hurt people. It's okay, right? Like it's okay. Pray for them. Love them anyway, right? Um, and then I believe wholeheartedly, uh, one of the last things I'll just say for this one is they are really trying to distract you from preaching the gospel. Never get so focused and honed in on uh, on demons that you're losing sight of the gospel. They want your eyes on them. They love the attention because it feels so much like worship, right? So be very careful. I think these videos that are getting very popular, uh, they love the worship that they're getting from people who are watching online, right? They love it right? They love it if, if it's all genuine, right? Like, but they hate, they hate, they hate, they hate when you point people to Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for them. They hate that with everything in them. So in conclusion, right? Like this is meant to just be an overview of where I am, what I've experienced, what I've seen. And I really just wanted to put all of this out here as just like a preface to what we're going to continue on and doing, right? I'm not done. And we're going to keep on doing this for the next six, seven episodes, right? Like we are going to have these conversations, but I want you to know where I'm coming from, my experiences, my preconceived notions, my Pentecostal past, right? Like, and see just, and, and listen to me once again, never ending, always rambling, right? So until next time, think on it. Yes, I'm